Good morning, church. Um, this is Pastor Will here. Um, I'm excited to uh, share what God has laid on my heart. Um, every week I just remember more how I miss the fellowship um, of the believers, man. I miss meeting together. Uh, but we're going to make the best of what we got. And I feel like uh, I have something that's going to encourage you this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Um, as I was thinking, um, I, this, this question kind of popped into my, my head is, um, have you ever had a job that you didn't particularly like? It wasn't like a dream job. It was, it was something that you, you had to go into to pay the bills. Now, I've had a job like that. Not this present one, though. Not this present one. But uh, I remember when I was in sales, I did not particularly just love what I had to sell, but I uh, thought about my wife, and I thought we had Ezra at the time. I thought about my son, and I thought, well, I, I just I got to do what I got to do because I got some needs. I, I, I have, uh, uh, like, necessity is motivating me. I, I need to feed my family. I need to pay my bills, and that motivation would push me to search and to do what I needed to do in order to keep my job. And so, in other words, we are, we are motivated by getting bread, you know, uh, getting bread in both ways. You get, get bread money and getting bread food. That's how we are motivated. And in this passage today, Jesus challenges us about what the true necessities are and how to get them. So we're motivated by what we need, and Jesus challenges us in this passage about what it is that we truly need. Let's look at John uh, 6, 22. We're going to start it. It says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had only been one boat. They saw also that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum to look for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so we may believe, uh, we may see and believe you? They asked, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us this bread always. 
I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I have told you, you've seen me, yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us through your word clearly, that, that by the power of the Spirit, your word would affect our hearts, would it sink down deep into our hearts. Lord God, that we not just uh, uh, hear it, would it be not just something that we ponder, but Lord, that it would be something that would truly affect us. So by the Spirit, please do that. All right, so what's happening in John 6 is previously in the first part of the chapter, Jesus had just fed over 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. So people will flock to hear Jesus' teaching and to receive healing. And, and he was concerned uh, that people have food to eat because they often traveled far. It was a very uh, logistical concern. I just want people to be able to eat. So Jesus cares about both your physical needs and, and, and not just your spiritual ones, all right? That's something to, to keep in mind, particularly if you find yourself uh, at risk. You're like, man, I don't know if I have what I need. Remember that Jesus not only cares about your spiritual needs, but about your physical ones as well. Now, after he had fed them this food, he eventually left the area, and the people went looking for him. They wanted to see more miracles. I mean, it would have been really cool to see someone take five loaves and two fish and to be able to feed over 5,000 people. You're like, I should probably go and see that again. Now, here is the issue. Jesus explained that the people had two problems. He explained they had two problems. Number one, they sought him for the wrong reasons. They sought him for the wrong reasons. Look at verse 26. It says, Jesus answered them, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal of approval on him. So they did not understand that Jesus' miracles were pointing to a greater reality. That's why he used the word sign. Uh, you know, a sign is, is, is an act of God that it's not just that you're supposed to focus on the act, but that that particular act that God does has a meaningful significance, and it is a way that God is trying to communicate to you. Jesus' miracles are meant to point to his authority and his salvation. Listen, if he can multiply bread and feed thousands of people, it should let all the people know, wait a minute, we should listen to him. Now, I just need to point this out. This is the the modern folly of seeking Jesus only for the miraculous. 
We only want to get this blessing or that blessing. We need this need or that need. But Jesus says, no, my miracles are not just miracles in of themselves. They actually have a central message pointing to my authority, pointing that I not only provide for temporal needs, but I provide for eternal needs. See, the people who were seeking for him, they had had some food. I imagine it was good because when he left, they're like, well, I would like some more bread. So where is Jesus at? What Jesus was concerned about is that not that they had temporal needs, but that they were only concerned about temporary blessings. Here's something that I just want to tell you, that all miracles in this life are temporary. All miracles are temporary. One of the greatest miracles that Jesus has ever done in the text is when he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's probably the most amazing thing that you could ever imagine to see, but you need to remember Lazarus still ended up dying. All the people who were healed still ended up dying. All the the people who ate the fish and the loaves, they died. Listen, listen, the body decays and all material possessions are left here. So Jesus is trying to to get them the right set of glasses and say, we need to think not only about what we need now, but we need to think about what lasts for eternity because that is just wise thinking. You, we are all concerned about what uh, gives us the most long-term benefit. I don't only want good today. Well, what, how can I set myself up to continue to get good? That is why we set up 401ks. That's why we care about Social Security. That's why we, we set up IRAs. Because we're concerned, like, how can I not just worry about today, but have something in the future? And Jesus is saying, what matters most is that you would have something for eternity. See, Jesus wanted them to have an eternal mindset. He's saying, listen, I know that the bread was good and the miracle was impressive, but that bread will only sustain you for today. I want to give you what sustains you forever. So not only did they search him, search for the the wrong things, and they were looking just for temporal uh, uh, things, they, they wanted more signs. Look at verse 30. It says, what sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? They asked, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the people that, that are talking to Jesus, they remembered a particular story uh, in the Old Testament, where God's people were, were roaming and wandering around in the wilderness, and they legitimately were on the verge of starvation. And so God, in his grace, provided food miraculously each morning that they woke up. It was called manna. God would, would rain down food every day as provision for them. And they're saying, listen, God did that in the past. That was really cool. It would be cool if you did something like to that magnitude. They wanted Jesus to show more signs like that. Now, now here's, here's something I want you to notice. is We have no record here that the people who are asking for these signs are at the threat of starvation. They just wanted to see something cool. 
They just wanted to be like, well, that, that was really cool. Jesus, could you do another trick? They weren't, they weren't on the verge of starvation. They, they weren't asking Jesus out of a sense of need. They were like, I just kind of, could you entertain me? Like, that was entertaining when I read that story. See, God responds to faith and need. He is not our source of entertainment. He is not a genie at our bidding. He is the authoritative Lord of all. But listen, he listens to our need, but he is not our plaything. So he saw these, these two problems that, that they only wanted temporal blessings and they kind of wanted to be entertained. And, and Jesus responded to these problems with some intense claims about himself. Look at verse 28. He says, it's the people that say, what can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. So remember, Jesus said, hey, you're only caring about food that eventually perishes. It goes bad and it can't sustain you forever, but I can give you eternal life. And, and they're like, well, what, what do we have to do to get this eternal life? It's, it's a good question. Now, the first way to answer the question, what is eternal life? In the scriptures, eternal life is not simply uh, forever, life without end. It also talks about the quality of the life. Uh, the definition that I want to use today is eternal life is life with God, experiencing the blessings of God. Life with God, experiencing the blessings of God. The interesting thing is it is fundamentally what we long for, even if we can't describe it. We all have this, uh, it's, it's a universal human longing. We long for peace, for love, for, for stable relationship, for provision. It's, it's both the moral and the interpersonal ideal that we want to experience the good life and we want to experience love in the context of a stable relationship. Now, though, if you might not know that that is a longing for eternal life, but beloved, you cannot get the fullness of that longing satisfied without God. Now, the beautiful thing is that, that God is not holding, withholding this from you. He actually wants you to experience life with him who is a source of joy and peace and provision and love and, and solid interpersonal relationship that you would never have to worry about messing up. He wants this for us. But Jesus made sure that they understood that they could not earn eternal life. They could not earn or work for life with God and God's blessings. So here's the deal. In order to be near a holy God, it requires that we would walk in obedience to that holy God. In other words, the, the entrance fee, if you will, into God's presence and his blessing is this obeying the law. Now, some of us might feel a bit of, um, that, that makes us feel kind of weird. Like, why would God have this, 
this, this entrance fee? Why would there be a, a standard to have to meet? But the, the funny thing is we instinctively feel that uh, those who ought to get good things ought to be the people that deserve it. That's why you feel outrage when somebody is getting something good and you're like, he's not even really that good a person. You wouldn't feel that outrage if you did not think that good things ought to come to those who deserve it. Now, here is the problem, is that we do not obey God's commands. Jesus explains that, that the law or God's command is summarized by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Beloved, we have not done this. I can think back to this last week when I was selfish with my time, when I was impatient with my children, when I felt like I ought to come to God, but I, I wanted to, to watch Netflix or spend my time elsewhere. The, the issue is, even if I wanted to obey the law, I can look at my track record and say, I have not done as God has pleased consistently. And here is the fundamental problem. We can't approach a holy God with an unclean and an unholy heart. But God has accomplished the means for us to get to him through the work of another. He says they would only receive eternal life not by working really hard, but only through Believing in Jesus. Jesus is the one who accomplished, fulfilled all of God's commands. And, and so he has, if you will, the ticket into eternal life because he earned it. And because he loves us, and because God loves us, he decided to give us this entrance fee through his own work. Jesus is saying, listen, you, you cannot get to eternal life. You cannot be in God's presence and, and, and God, uh, God's blessing because of your own deserving works because you don't do it. I don't do it. But because God loves me enough, he has made a way for me to enter his presence. Which turns into one of the most interesting things that Jesus says is, in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, if you are unfamiliar with this text, if you were just reading it for the first time or imagine yourself listening to Jesus talking, he's like, by the way, I am bread, I am food. You'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? We don't, that would be awkward if we ate you. That, that's not how it works. He goes on to explain what he means. Look at verse 51. He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Look at uh, verse uh, 54. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food, and my blood is true 
drink. What he is pointing to is not that you would have him for dinner, but he's pointing to what will happen on the cross. That for our eternal life, Jesus offered up something. And that which he offered up was his very body, was his very blood. His body was broken on the cross. His blood was spilled on the cross. He offered up himself on the cross. And what we need for eternal life is tied up into what he has done. What it means to to eat from what Jesus has done on the cross, it means that I would trust that I would turn my attention to, that I would look for what he has done on the cross for life. That's what food is, right? You you, you have to eat it because you have to live. If you don't have the food, you die. And Jesus is saying, if you want eternal life, you cannot work it up yourself, but I have done this ultimate work of offering up my body and my blood for you in your place as your substitute. Beloved, he was on the cross because we did not obey God. We did not deserve the blessings of God. He only deserved God's blessing. And because he loves us, he died in our place. Beloved, he received the punishments, the consequences of sin that we deserve. And what he's saying is, if I would have faith in him, if I would put my trust in him, if I would see that when he has died on the cross, that that my sins with my name on them have been placed on him on the cross and he has risen from the dead. And if I would trust in him in great humility, Jesus would say, now the pathway to eternal life is opened up to you. We only have access to eternal life because Jesus died in our place. What Jesus is doing here is is he is preaching the gospel. The good news about what he has done for us, that though we are undeserving, he loves us. He came down from heaven. He lived among the frustrations and sufferings and ambiguities of life. The, frustra- like, uh, the frustrations that are so tangible to us right now in this season. Jesus, though he did not have to, came down and lived among that. He was ridiculed, misunderstood, falsely accused, had a mock sham of a trial, was nailed to a cross because of his love for us, because he would die in our place. Beloved, this is what Jesus is saying. We need food that would would help us get to eternal life, but we don't produce this food, so he produced it for us. In verse 48, he talks about how this eternal life is, is not only quality, but it also is the length. And in verse 48, he says, I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Again, Jesus is concerned that they would miss out on eternal blessings because they were overly focused on temporary things. Beloved, this is the bread that sustains you not only for a day, but it sustains you through death. It it treats death like a hiccup instead of a dead end. In this moment where the frailty of our life is just clear, I don't want to only look at temporal things. I want to, to look up and see Jesus standing there ready to receive me in that moment when I die, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's a long time from now, I want to look to the eternal and I want you to look to the eternal. And, and this eternal life is secured for us, not because of what we, what we have done, but because of what he has done. Now, these things, uh, they, are, they are not easy to, to believe at a deep internal level, but God's spirit helps us to understand these things. Look at verse 61. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, complaining about his claims to be the bread of life, his claims to feed people with his own body, with his own blood, Jesus asked him, does this offend you? The answer is yes. (laughs) Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. So if you read the passage after he talks about he is the, 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 the bread that comes down from heaven and, and that, that, that his body and his blood will be given up, and, and, and people are so offended at what he says. Now, there's at least two reasons they could be offended. One, he could be offended. They could be offended because maybe they were just plain confused. Jesus talked about eating him. I don't want to do that. That's awkward. You know what I'm saying? They could just be plain confused. But I think the the closer uh, thing to the case is that Jesus is making claims that would obliterate any self-reliance. Whatever sort of pride they could have had in themselves, whatever sort of accomplishments that they could have said they could bring to the table, Jesus is saying those are not sufficient, but I am your sufficiency. He is claiming this universal authority to give people entrance into eternal life. And if you have a tendency towards self-reliance, which if we're honest, we all do, that is offensive. But beloved, he says that the spirit, the spirit is the one that gives life. That God's spirit can help us to understand these things. That God's spirit can help us to understand that without Christ, we are lost. That without Christ, if I have to rely on my own goodness, I don't want to see the scales that day. But spirit helps us to have faith and understand that what Christ did on the cross, what he offered up, that it applies to me. 
Even in thir- verse 34, it says that, that everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, so that the Father is drawing us to understand these things. And in verse 39, it says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Through the Spirit, by God's power, he both draws us and he keeps us. He says in verse 63 that that the words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The Spirit helps us understand what Jesus is saying and helps us to experience God's life in us. Now, as you read the the chapter, you'll see Jesus makes these these, um, rebukes of the people for being too temporary in their thinking. He talks about how they 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 can get eternal life not through earning it, but by by coming and believing on him and that he would offer up his own flesh and blood so that they could not perish but have eternal life. Loads of people left him that day. Many disciples turned away. In verse 66, it says, from that moment, any of his disciples... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, to his 12 closest disciples, you don't want to go away too, do you? I don't love this verse. In verse 60, he says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So this this eternal quality of this life with God, experiencing God's blessings, Peter and the twelve had begun to experience this through Jesus. And they did not understand everything that Jesus was saying. They did not understand every uh, uh, act that he did, but they knew that they found life in him. Here is the reality of what it means to walk the Christian life. There are, there are going to be times where we are confused and we're like, what in the world is going on? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why are you allowing this particular issue in my family? Why in the world are you allowing a pandemic? What are you doing? See, confusion about God, what God is doing will remain in this world Yet through God, we are given the words of hope and comfort. <laughs> one, there was one time, um, some of you uh, may know, I used, me and my family, we were uh, missionaries in, in East Asia. And while we were there, Ezra, my oldest son, he had to have surgery. And he was, uh, he was one year old at the time, just a baby. And um, it's, it's a different type of medical system. We were not close to a, a, a major city and and I remember when the nurses were trying to stick him with an IV, they kept missing. Imagine you have a baby. Somebody's just sticking him over and over again with a needle because they, they can't find his, uh, his vein. And so they, they asked me to hold him down so that they could find his vein. And I remember holding my son down so that they could give him uh, this this IV to prepare for surgery, 
and him just looking at me. Think, and I could, I could almost hear what he was thinking. Daddy, what are you doing? This hurts. Why are you doing this? Don't you care? Can't you see what is going on? Why are you participating in this? It broke my heart because I knew that I was, I was doing something for his good, but, but he could not see it in that moment. And as he wept, I wanted to weep. He was in a moment of suffering and confusion, and his father was there. And for all intents and purposes, it seemed like his father is participating in that suffering. But I remember the next day after the surgery and God was gracious to him, he still came to me for help. He still came to me for comfort. And it's not like the next day he understood what I was doing. But he had a track record. He's like, you're my father. I need, I'm needy and I need you to help me. And you usually help me. I don't know what you did that last time. I don't know what you was doing. But you are the one who gives me food and gives me comfort. Beloved, there are times when it feels like we are being held down by God in suffering. But I want you to understand that God does not get pleasure in our suffering. That he might be holding us down, but it may just be for our good. We may experience confusion and, and pain now, but where else will we get our eternal comfort? Jesus has the words of life, and he is the one who saves. He's the unique one, the only one who is qualified to save us, and we can trust in him. Now, here's what I, what I want you to understand is that we can experience this fullness from, from eating and, and feasting on what Christ has done even right now. In verse 56, it says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. We need to continually see that Jesus is our source of life. You don't just eat one time and you're good forever. Here's what I want you to understand. The point that Jesus is making, this whole passage is this. We contribute nothing. They said, what can we do to be doing the works of God? How can we get this food that lasts forever? You can believe. That's it. He didn't, he didn't call them to, to, to contribute anything. The only thing that we have contributed is our own sin. This, is, this points to the fact that we are, are called into fellowship with God, not because we are awesome and not because we have met some sort of quota or merit. It is only because that Jesus died in our place and that when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the good deeds of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus, that is what he sees. And what verse 56 is pointing to is that I abide in fellowship with God as I glean from the fact that I have been forgiven and made right, not because 
of what I have done, but because of what he has done. See, the experience of eternal life is tied to us understanding that we are always relying on Jesus to bring us to God. You, you, that's not simply the entryway. You don't suddenly become able to, to make that type of food. You can't do it now or, or ever, but Jesus is continually offering us forgiveness. The more I focus on the fact that though I did not contribute positively at all to my salvation, Jesus has saved me with his death and his resurrection. And beloved, the more that I feel that, the more that I focus on that, the more joy and peace from God the Father I would feel. See, listen, confident, confidence in his pleasure and acceptance. If I would just feast on that, I will enjoy his peace and comfort. This passage is beautiful because it points to our great need that, that we, could, we, we have a, a fundamental need to be near to God. We have a fundamental need to, to escape death, and, and we can't do it, but Jesus has provided it for us. And so my question, my friends, is this. Have you been fed with the true food? Here's some questions to think about. Are you afraid of coming to God because of what it will require of you? Do you view God as a disappointed and grumpy father? Beloved, if that is what you feel, you have not fed on the true food. The true food is that what is required, Jesus has accomplished. The true food is that God has loved you so much, not that he required you to do something, but that he sent his son for you. The true food is resting in what Jesus has done for you. That is the true food. If you have not tasted that, cling to Jesus today. My question for those who might be in the faith is, do you consistently feed on the true food? Every day I need to focus on what it means to be doing the works of God. Now, how did Jesus define it? You do the work of God by believing on the one he has sent. Every day I am tempted to look at my own sufficiency, to think that God views me this and that away because of what I have done. But the reality is this. Every day, in my heart is manifested sin. That I haven't loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that I've exhibited selfishness towards my neighbor. That is what I have contributed. And, and either that could push me to despair, right? Or I could sweep that under the rug and look at all the good things that I've done and be like, I'm probably good. But the reality is if I want to experience this life with God, experiencing his pleasure and his blessing, I would remember that it is not because of what I have done, not simply when I got saved this very day. I would believe in the work that Jesus has done for me, that I am accepted because his sacrifice was perfect, that I can joyfully come to him not looking in to try to feel, figure out if I did the right thing that day, but remembering that Jesus has done the right thing. 
I can trust in him. From this place of of being full because of the work of Jesus, I can selflessly serve my neighbor. Beloved, if we would be full of God's love, of his pleasure, of his sacrifice, of the work that he has done, not having to prove anything and not being uh, overly conscious of what I have done, I am free to look around and say, oh, beloved, I have been filled with the fullness of God because of what Jesus has done. I don't have to be needy. I'm actually filled up with his love so I can look and say, how can I serve my neighbor? How can I serve my brother and my sister? How can I serve those who are in need because my God has fulfilled my need? I can simply live with the unchangeable knowledge of his love and then go and love others well. My encouragement to you this week is that you would would feed on the truths of what Jesus has done in the gospel, that he loves you, that he died for you, that his blood was spilt for you, that he has risen from the dead, and that every day you can live with the assurance of God's pleasure, his grace, his nearness, his blessing because of what Christ Jesus has done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us to believe what you said, that your body and your blood is true food, that your death on the cross, the blood that was spilled, Lord, that it was spilled for our sin, for our wrongdoing. But Lord, we don't have to dwell in the place of our own wrongdoing because you have done all of that because you love us. So Lord, help us to be satisfied in you. Holy Spirit, would you comfort those who are listening now that they can come to you because the entrance fee has been paid. Would you help us to feel your delight, your love, your goodness? In Jesus' name, amen.